This is an ABC podcast. Hi, this is Earshot, and I'm Miyuki Okiranta. Today, we kick off a season of docos which contain a mystery. And the setting for this first story is that southernmost axis of the globe, the continent of Antarctica, itself a mysterious and fascinating place. The cold, the isolation, the vast unknown that it seems to hold out. But what if Antarctica was actually more like this? And with these familiar sounds come other everyday familiar things. Boredom, routine, bureaucracy. As producer Fiona Pepper found out when she uncovered a satirical newsletter called Big Dead Place, written in secret by a young American working at McMurdo Station in Antarctica in the late 90s. The newsletter exposed the bizarre and sometimes troubling bureaucracy that he found himself in. So today we're exploring what life was really like, living and working in an American Antarctic base. And stand by for some strong language. I have never heard one person say that the most difficult thing about Antarctica is is working outside or being cold. I have never heard one person imply that Antarctica's tough physical environment would be the main reason not to return. I have never heard of one returnee who finally quit because it's the world's highest, driest, coldest, or whatever. People leave because of the bullshit. That's a reading from Big Dead Place. And here's an example of the bullshit. One time, with winter temperatures hovering around 80 below, the South Pole safety representative, running out of topics for the mandatory daily meetings, instructed workers on heat stroke. It was US contractor Nicholas Johnson who was secretly riding Big Dead Place late at night in his tiny dormitory at the Antarctic station McMurdo. This charismatic guy in his late 20s became struck by how insanely bureaucratic the place was. So he began documenting it. The Big Dead Place became the WikiLeaks of Antarctica. And it was also described as the mash of Antarctica. Big Dead Place began in 1999, a year after Nick arrived. This is what he wrote of his first job. I work mid-rats, midnight ration, as a DA, dining attendant in the galley. We wash dishes, uh, scrub pots, vacuum the dining area, scouted for spray bottles, disinfectant to wipe the tables and mix bug juice, industrial strength Kool-Aid. Most of us on the mid-rats crew were thingies, fucking new guys. The galley might as well have been in Nebraska, you know, stainless steel and hot water and the smells of baking chicken and boiling potatoes and butterscotch, all to the, uh, the repetitious soundtrack of Foreigner and the Eagles. Yeah, I often forgot where I was until I went outside in the, the cold and wind to dump cardboard or food waste in the dumpsters off the dock. Now, I can't speak with Nick Johnson about Big Dead Place and what drove him to write it, because he's no longer alive. But I did track down his family and some of his Antarctic workmates. Hello, my name is Kathy Blum, and I spent approximately 36 months on ice. In the year 2000, Nick and Kathy were on something called a waste management team. 
What that really means, they were the garbage workers at McMurdo, the largest American-run Antarctic station, which at its peak in summer is a community of 1,200 people. Kathy says an average workday looks something like this. So up in the morning, a little bit of stretching every morning with the crew of probably eight to ten people. And then we would walk around town, see what waste streams needed to be picked up. Then we would use heavy equipment to go pick up that waste stream and then bring it to the barn and process it throughout the day. It's pretty much basically the day. It's sort of this strange thing of, yeah, living in this stunning, I mean, every morning you get up and you're looking at the transantarctic mountains and beautiful sea ice and walk to work and there you are finding condoms in the aluminium beer cans. So, you know, just just a dichotomy of what you see, the view and the, <laughs> what you see every day. It's not very pretty. Does it generally contradict what most people assume Antarctica is like? Oh, absolutely. Everybody thinks you go down there and it's this beautiful, pristine place, you know, where all scientists down there and when in actuality, you know, there's probably a large part are tradies or basic logistics that need to support the science. So it's more like an old mining camp, really. Is it what you expected? I have to admit, you know, um, when I heard about the job, I was excited and, and like, wow, that is so cool. I can actually get there and experience it. But I was told exactly that. It's like a dirty old mining town and your job is boring and mundane. You're pretty much stuck into a town doing your everyday job in day in, day out, six days a week. Kathy says the McMurdo Waste Management team was made up of an eccentric bunch of travellers and musicians, and Nick Johnson was a perfect fit. It's a monotonous job, so to have someone with such an intelligent mind and just wry humour uh, to just keep us entertained throughout the days. And was he a good worker? An awesome worker, yeah. I can always rely on him. Great lateral thinking. Yeah, awesome worker. The mundane work clearly wasn't an issue for Nick, but the bureaucracy of McMurdo came as a shock. Well, before I came down, I imagined I'd be, you know, sleeping in a hollowed-out pit of snow and braining seals for food. Um, I had never imagined institutional modular dorms with, with laundry rooms and, and foosball tables. And few come to the ice prepared for relatively comfortable quarters, so it's no surprise that neither are they prepared for the entrenched class structure by which the comfortable quarters are allocated. Before we go any further in this story, it's important to understand the structure of McMurdo. So, the National Science Foundation, NSF, operates the US Antarctic program. The NSF then appoints a support contractor to house, employ and manage the crews and scientists at McMurdo. And during the period that Nick was there, Raytheon, a major defence company, had the contract. Darren Schneider is an Australian physicist who also worked under Raytheon. Raytheon management's very institutional. It's like they're running a, a prison, <laughs> except for scientists, I guess, and all the people that the guards are even prisoners. Everyone's a prisoner. So you're living on the edge of the earth, working six days a week, 
being told when to eat, sleep and what clothing to wear. Over winter, it's dark and there's no flight in or out of McMurdo for six months. But you're still there by choice. Isn't this prison analogy a bit strong then? No, not at all. But you're institutionalised like a prison. I mean, you know, you have freedoms to do things and, yeah, it's definitely like a prison. And Cathy says what made things worse was that most of Raytheon management sat in an office block in Denver, thousands of kilometres away in the middle of the United States. We're in this harsh, cold environment doing day-to-day jobs dictated by people that are in a completely different environment that just can't conceptualise what we're doing or how we're doing it. It just defies logic on a certain level and you just have to reach for humour at that point. And that's exactly what Nick did. In his newsletter, he made fun of this bizarre system that he'd landed in at McMurdo. Writing under a pseudonym, Nick would secretly print and place copies of Big Dead Place newsletter around the station. Australian scientist at McMurdo, Darren Schneider, was a dedicated reader of the newsletter. It would just appear in the galley on the tables in the morning and it it just looked like uh, The Onion, which is a satirical newspaper in in America. And uh, I just, it was confusing at first what this thing was, but it was just hilarious. It just uh, captured the the sort of mayhem and uh, insanity. It just helped take the edge off this culture that I wasn't maybe expecting. One time at McMurdo, some women hung up a shower curtain for extra privacy while men visited the nearby co-ed sauna. A manager confiscated the curtain because it was considered unauthorised. No surprises, this exchange ended up in Nick's next newsletter. NSF seizes unauthorised shower curtain. A specially trained agent of NSF Station Services invaded Hotel California on Tuesday, apprehending and seizing an unauthorized shower curtain. The shower curtain, which behaved in a hostile manner when questioned by authorities, has been menacing residents of the dorms for weeks. Oh, yeah, it got so bad I was scared to go to the bathroom, said one terrified resident. I never knew what the shower curtain was doing there or where it had come from. Uh, it scared me. It just, it just hung there like it owned the place. I'm glad it's over now. NSF officials who have been searching for the shower curtain for questioning and its involvement with a string of vapor barrier-related activities refused to disclose the exact nature of the crimes committed by the crafty shower partition. And then there was the story of alligator shoes. Alligator Shoes was my boss uh, when I worked for Janitorial Services. And we called him Alligator Shoes because he wore alligator business shoes. But wearing a suit and tie in McMurdo is like wearing a spacesuit to a bullfight. Kath watched him from her window as he commuted to work through the wind in his parker and his alligator shoes, you know, clutching his briefcase. We watched him walk into his dormitory, slip sliding away, and we thought this will be very interesting. So we get fresh fruit and vegetables from New Zealand. Maybe if we were lucky once a month, but, you know, it could be longer than that. And when it came, it was, you know, the whisper throughout the community, the freshies are here, so you make sure to get to the galley that night for dinner because you know there'll be some good fresh fruit and vegetables. For some reason, he felt like he really had to 
put on a show, so he uh, forced a lot of the cooks to take these vegetables and cut them into, you know, little figurines, little animals, and basically wasting fresh fruit and vegetables that we so desperately want and need as a display on the counter where we're going through the galley collecting our food. I mean, we, uh, there was a lot of uh, arguing, and I believe there were a couple cooks that were fired over it because they refused to um, actually cut up the fruit to make seals, or I don't even know what, what he made out of those, those fruits. There was another time when the crew at McMurdo were looking for recreational activities to keep them occupied over the long winter. A woman emailed all the other women on station that she was producing a play called The Vagina Monologues and that they should contact her if they wanted to participate. And she hung flyers on the bulletin boards around town. A recipient went to HR and said that she was offended by the email. So the HR guy contacted Denver and an order came down that the play could not be performed in any public place in McMurdo, which is everywhere except maybe the dorm rooms. The vagina ban was eventually lifted. Denver decided the play could be held in the McMurdo Library, but the flyers for the play couldn't use the word vagina. And the play must have a doorman at the entrance warning the audience with an average age of 36 that they might be offended if they came in. You get an idea of the kind of things Nick was documenting. Over time, Big Dead Place newsletter evolved into a website. It was safer, no printing required. And Nick only revealed to his closest friends at McMurdo that he was the author. Everyone else was busy trying to work out who was behind it. People were desperately trying to find out who, who this was. The NSF was trying to work out who was doing this uh, newsletter that was showing up in the galley. Do you think he was brave doing it? Yeah, I would definitely say so. I mean, he knew he was putting himself out there, but he knew he had such good content and such a great story to share that it was a no-brainer. And it turned out that Nick's position in waste management would offer up some pretty exclusive information. In my menial position as an Antarctic garbage man, I was exposed to a wide array of unusual official documents that had been discarded in the white paper category. My deep research in this area, sometimes to the bottom of the bin, would not have been possible without the conscientious recycling program of the National Science Foundation, for which I am grateful. Big Dead Place wasn't just filled with insane managerial behaviour. Nick Johnson revealed some serious cases that occurred in McMurdo. Hi, uh, my name is Sue Long. I worked in Antarctica for four summers and two winters. Sue worked in materials, helping the McMurdo scientists. It was one of the most creative jobs she'd ever had, and she loved it. Then, in the year 2000, things started to come unstuck for Sue. Oh, it started out in the summer. I and a fellow were fairly good friends. It was his first season. Wintertime came, and we lost our station manager due to a heart attack. And so then they put the fellow that I was friends with in that position. And he had never been down there before. He 
took his job very seriously. He just started going after me with a vengeance because I feel like I didn't support him when everyone else was against him. Sue says she was fined by that station manager $50 for leaving a coat hanger in her closet when she was supposed to have moved out of her dorm at the end of a season. That same station manager was the one that tried to ban the production of the vagina monologues. None of these decisions earned him much respect amongst the crew. He just made some interesting choices that a lot of people didn't agree with and it felt like our rights were being taken away and it's already um, a challenge to be there for the winter, physically. So it just felt like we had this antagonist. It was common practice at the end of each season for the crew to fill in evaluation forms about each manager. But for some reason, for this particular station manager, there was no evaluation form. So Sue went onto the shared computer and created one and she passed it around to the crew to complete. She says she did this because she felt it was only fair that the staff could document what had been going on under this manager. And that's how I got fired. Um, they said that was interfering with government documentation. Sue's story was documented in detail in Big Dead Place. But instead of Sue, she was called Sasha. The grapevine confirmed that Sasha was going to be fired. It was solid because someone saw her name on the flight manifest. She just hadn't been told officially, and no one knew yet what the cause of the termination would be. Her sarcastic emails, her persistent questions, and her impertinence had stirred hostile sentiments, and it had been inevitable that she would breach some arcane protocol that could rationalize her dismissal. Sasha, leaving on the next day's flight, had one evening to pack up her stuff. Her friends visited her while she packed and took pictures of her flaunting her termination letter. And people promised to mail packages and take care of anything she couldn't finish in time. I got put on the first plane out, and in New Zealand I got put on the first plane to America. It was sad and I was in shock. I just couldn't believe. I really didn't think I pushed it far enough to get fired. I thought I was just protecting my rights. And when you got home to America, how did you explain it to people? I didn't. I, I didn't tell anyone. Yeah, right now, my husband knows I got fired, but no one else does. Um, my family doesn't know. My friends don't know. I've never been fired before. It's pretty shameful. In researching this story, I contacted the National Science Foundation to hear their response to Big Dead Place. They refused to comment. I also wrote to a former NSF manager. While he didn't want to be interviewed, he did make these comments in an email. Not really sure I want to speak to a radio reporter about Big Dead Place. First, I doubt that anyone other than me, the NSF, has read it. Second, I noted it had several mistakes. And... Third, I wondered why someone who had so many problems with working in Antarctica kept coming back. Made me wonder how much of it was crap. Maybe this former manager had a point. So I asked Nick's old co-worker and pal, Kathy Blum, why she thought he kept going back to Antarctica. I think maybe the Antarctic probably encapsulated what happens everywhere in the world in these kind of businesses 
And it's just such a small little microcosm that you can pick apart. That's why he loved going back there. It's just like a sociological anomaly. It encompasses all bureaucracy, I guess you could say. It was a great study for him. It was fascinating. In 2005, a year after Nick's last Antarctic stint, he published a book based on his blog, also called Big Dead Place. What was different about the book was he published it using his own name. There was some nervousness about it. This is Jackie Johnson, Nick's younger sister. But also it kind of felt just from where I was standing that he is just a very determined person and when it's very clear that he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And the book was pretty successful at the time. It got great reviews. There was even talk of turning it into a TV series. It kind of became bigger than him. It was like it kind of took on a life of its own, you know, that he could then continue to to nurture, uh, I guess. In 2012, seven years after publishing Big Dead Place, Nick applied for another contract in Antarctica, and he got it. He was all packed and ready to go. The day before he was due to fly out, everything suddenly changed. He sent this email to his friend, Kathy. Hey. It's official. I was supposed to deploy tomorrow, but they sent me this. Uh, it has recently come to our attention that, writing as Nicholas Johnson, you are the author of Big Dead Place. It is our opinion that due to the nature and content of this book, you would not be a suitable candidate for employment under the Antarctic Support Contract. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact me. PAE regrets any inconvenience this decision has caused, but believes that the decision is in both parties' best interest. Regards, Stability Operations. Notice that it's from Stability Operations. I mean, what the hell is that? Well, now that I'm all packed up, I'm ready for a contract. Got any leads in Greenland? Later, Nick. I mean, it definitely wasn't good news. He was looking forward to going... He had, was making plans. I mean, he had, you know, prepared, you know, puts all of his boxes out in dad's garage kind of a thing to get ready. It was a shock, I guess. It was a surprise that uh, they pulled the plug the day before. Yeah, he had some emotions about it for sure. And then a little over a month after the termination of his Antarctic contract, at 41 years old, Nick Johnson died by suicide. Where, where were you when you got this news? Uh, I was at home. Can you talk about that day? Um... No. Yeah, I can't, I can't. Initially when I heard it, I didn't believe it. I did not absolutely believe it. I had his dad's number, so I called and left a message and his dad called back and confirmed. The termination of Nick's Antarctic contract came as a blow. But nobody I spoke with thought that this was the sole reason for his death. After Antarctica, Nick worked some short stints in war-torn Iraq and Afghanistan. 
His friends said after these jobs, he was different. I think it kind of got under his skin a little bit. He definitely got heavier into drinking. I know that. And how does it feel now not having that person in your life? It sucks. It's definitely a big dead place without him. While Nick is no longer around, he lives on through Big Dead Place. Friend and McMurdo workmate Sue Long. I feel like Nicholas did something special in that everything I had read about Antarctica was about heroics and exploration. And Nicholas really told about the humanistic, quirky part of Antarctica. And what about the culture of say, McMurdo Station. Do you think he had an impact on that? I wish I could go back and find out, but I guarantee you some things probably changed. Well, I know now they're shredding their garbage, (laughs) their documentation, because that's how he got documentation, is he was waste management. So I'm sure they're more careful. Nick's friend Kathy Blum says that the people she's met who have worked in Antarctica and read Big Dead Place usually respond in one of two ways. Some people hate it because they still want to dream it to be beautiful and stunning and pristine. Others, you know, it's pretty funny and interesting. And if you have a good attitude and humour, you can succeed, I think, down there. In 2014, Kathy went back to McMurdo on a contract and in her luggage were half a dozen copies of Big Dead Place. I made sure to put one in the library, the McMurdo Library, uh, one in the Crary, which is the science library, Um, sent a few down to the South Pole, and we just thought, he's gotta stay down there. We've gotta keep that, that book down there. That's where it belongs. We've heard a lot of people speak about Nick Johnson in this program. And now it's time to hear from the man himself. traditional mystery tale, nor your typical Antarctic adventure, but an incredible adventure nonetheless. Big Dead Place was produced by Fiona Pepper. The sound engineer was Tim Simons. Thanks to Philip Samatsis for the phenomenal sound recordings. Excerpts from Big Dead Place were read by Toby Trustlove and music by Nick Johnson. And if this program has raised any issues for you, please contact Lifeline 
on 13 11 14. From the wilds of the Crystal Desert, this is Earshot, and I'm Miyuki Okiranta. But this time, the last word goes to Big Dead Place. You may believe that you are only going to Antarctica for just one season. Though that may be true, it is not. Antarctica will pierce you in the heart, and even if you don't come back, you will think about it off and on, probably, for the rest of your life. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.